You're listening to a Mash Those Buttons podcast. Visit mashthosebuttons.com for a full podcast schedule. Guardian. Guardian. to In Orbit, Mash Those Buttons podcast dedicated to Destiny and its community. Today's show, episode 28. Won't someone please think of the glitches? And on today's show, we got, of course, David. Say hi. Ah, hello, everybody. And we got the godfather of Mash Those Buttons himself, Jarrett. Say hi. How you doing? And with us today, we got Connor Rice and James Hale. Say hi, guys. Hello, guys. So on today's show, we're going to discuss the recent patch 2.3.0 and the subsequent Destiny hotfix. More information comes out about Rise of Iron since E3 in various interviews. The heavy glitches that this game has been having in connectivity and in-game playability. And we talk about the future of the game. But before we begin, I want to take a moment to talk about uh, something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, we here in this Destiny community have many people that go through many things in their lives. As a cancer survivor, I know that without donations to great groups that provide support, research, and care, I would not be here today to provide this show. Back in 2009, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and thankfully, I am now in remission and healthy. Soon, I'm going to be putting together funds to help the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and in the coming weeks, I'll put the word on how to donate. But for right now, I recommend that everyone visit www.lls.org to learn about the blood cancers that involve the very young, the very old among us. And with that, let's jump right into the show. Let's talk about patch 2.3.0 along with the Destiny hotfix that came in. David, go ahead and take away. All right. So uh, first off, we had some changes to guns coming with patch 2.3.0. We had better, better initial accuracy for hand cannons and increases to PVE damage. Um, high rate of fire auto rifles were nerfed 6%. The ghost auto ammo obtainer timer was shortened. Counterbalance was slightly nerfed. They fixed some exotic machine gun stability issues that came along with Thunderlord and Super Good Advice. And they fixed, with air quotes, the defiance of Yasmin Zoom. So that ghost auto ammo obtained that they're talking about, that's the one where, let's say that you run, uh, get rid of all of your primary ammo and all of your secondary ammo or all of your heavy ammo, and then all of a sudden, within a couple of seconds, boom, you have full ammo. That's because your this is for the game, your ghost goes out and picks up ammo boxes and gives it to you. Uh, people used to do this a lot during the Crota boss fight to, to get heavy ammo, the quote-unquote heavy ammo glitch, along with uh, other things where they would just get rid of all their ammo in um, certain strikes so that they could just stay in a specific location at all times and just use Icebreaker. 
Um, outside of outside of the high rate of fire auto nerf, I think everything else was pretty much what we expected. I I I think that the hand cannons needed that initial accuracy boost. There were too many phantom bullets, but I know why Bungie made it so that there is a steeper curve with regards to the range, so it doesn't put it into scout rifle range. Because let's let's face it, year one, Thorn was just an absolute troll. It was ridiculous how how easy it was to get those headshots and to put people down so quickly. I know Jared had so much fun with Thorn and other hand cannons. Absolutely. Uh, that uh, you feel the sincerity in his voice. Um, the one thing I am concerned about is that the high rate of fire auto rifles were nerfed again in terms of damage, and this isn't so much a PVE thing. I'm sorry, a PVP thing. It's more of a PVE thing, and I'm just concerned that they're nerfing these gun types into irrelevancy. When you do a nerf to damage, you have to also think, well, what does this do to PVE? And they don't they didn't do a corresponding magazine buff and ammo buff to the high high rate of fire auto rifles to make them so that they're able to compete in PVE and deal the same amount of damage per magazine as other weapons. What do you yeah. think? Um, I'll, I'll just hop in here. I agree. And I think we saw some starting to get, Bungie starting to get smart with, they increased some things in PVE where it wasn't being increased in PVP, which is something in the past they haven't really done. And they said they didn't want to do. But I, I do think they need to do that with, these guns, because when you take those, those high rate of fire auto rifles, we're finally able to do something in PVE. Like Doctrine was finally good in PVE after this past update and the update before it. And now bring them back down. Well, it's going to be like, eh, well, I should just use a scout rifle again, because now it's no longer got that reason to use it. And honestly, you were saying that they didn't need a nerf. I feel like they did uh, just a little bit. And after playing with them, Doctrine really doesn't feel bad in PvP, which is where I thought it needed the nerf. Um, they were just too dominant in those close quarters and nothing could compete with them. What about you guys, uh, Connor and James? <clears throat> uh, uh, go ahead, James. Um, well, I was just thinking, obviously, in the patch notes from Bungie, you're looking at, obviously, it was the Arco type that got nerfed. Um, Right. I was actually having a play with this in a raid on Tuesday. Um, basically, on my Titan, I ended up just having a Soul Stealer's Claw. Obviously, it's a high rate of fire that compares to them. And you do have to say, I, I agree, that you just immediately sit there and think, well, I've got to pick up a scout rifle. So I was just wondering, has the Soul Stealer's Claw as a high rate of fire auto been nerfed as well? Or was it, was it just the archetype of the Doctrine of Passing, so the Arminius D, etc.? Yeah, the entire archetype. Uh, yesterday, I was doing a classic raid run. And I pulled out um, Atheon's epilogue. And the week before when I did the, the classic raid run, I was actually able to get a good amount of enemies with one magazine. I was constantly getting about two to three goblins now. Um, whereas with the, my vision of confluence, it's a two tap to the chest, 17 bullets. I'm looking at quite a few goblins dead. Way more goblins dead than I than I could with my full magazine of Doctrine and Passing, and this is in addition to the range that it has. So, uh, if I'm dealing in the one area where um, the oracles first come out, and I have all these hobgoblins aiming down on me, I don't have the range. 
I'm unable to take out as many goblins as I can, so I'm getting surrounded. And I'm putting an entire magazine into a minotaur just to take it down. I'm, and that, that same amount of effort with Vision of Confluence, I would have easily taken out at least one or two goblins and most likely have taken down the minotaur, even with the void shield, without as many problems. So... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I did the same thing in the uh, the King's Fall raid last night. I was uh, with a three three five Doctor and a Parson. It took uh, a whole mag and three quarters to down one of the Yellowbar Knights. Mm-hmm. And you know, before you were looking at uh, just under a mag if you wanted to, you know, completely eradicate it. And I think something like that is gonna it's gonna, it will carry over, and people will start to just dismantle them, especially in PVE. It's not worth it. Yeah, I, I mean. For... <laughs> I, I've always appreciated these guns, but and 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 even though this isn't part of the patch notes, you know for a fact that eventually they're going to do something with pulse rifles. They have to do something with pulse rifles because, I, and I know uh, not many podcasts have actually been talking about it, or not many people have been talking about it. I know this past week, um, or oh, what is it called, uh, Planet Destiny's podcast, they were talking about. The pulse rifles, the the slow rate of fire ones, just are not relevant. They're not a consistent two tap kill, which means that they're three burst kill. But if you're doing the same three bursts to the head with a um, what is it the the the, the, the grasp of Malak or Hawksaw or something, why would you put yourself at such a disadvantage with a spare change? That just it wouldn't it just does not make sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah, I can only personally agree on that. I don't think I actually have any slow rate of fire pulse rifles. Um, no, do I. I don't, I don't I, even give them a second chance, really. I have a god roll spare change from back in the day, so that's about it. Yeah, I mean I, I don't think they ah, see i don't know the pulse rifle thing's tricky because when they were the two burst kill like you remember the messenger when that, that thing was just a two burst kill all the time and it it was op so they need to find a way to make it not op but still have a two burst kill and with, without doing that like they could i mean they could slow down the pulse rifle even more and make it a two burst kill but no, it, in my opinion there's two things that need to do that they need to do with pulse rifles they need to do the pulse rifles the same thing that they did the hand cannons. Better initial accuracy for mid-range game, but give it that steeper decline with regards to range. If you're staying back at a distance with a with a high impact, low rate of fire pulse rifle, you shouldn't be able to get those two burst kills. A pulse rifle is supposed to be a mid-range gun that is effective against a good amount of enemies and is a and you can use in a variety of situations. But if you're outside of that mid-range, you should not be getting that consistent 34 to the head per bullet. It just it doesn't make sense. But aren't yeah, pulse rifles range. supposed to also be able to play at longer ranges? It, 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 it's a it's a mid-range gun. The the long range gun is your scout rifle. That that's 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 where that's if you're making it so that a pulse rifle can compete at a long range with a scout rifle. What's the point of a scout rifle? You run into a situation from year one where what's the point of a scout rifle if the hand cannon is hitting you at the same range? Right, but why would you have? Why would you ever use a low rate of fire um, pulse rifle then if that 
archetype wasn't meant for longer ranges. Because if you're using, if you're playing at only medium to shorter ranges, I'm not going to use a low rate of fire scout rifle. If someone's going to be closer to me, I'm going to use a high rate of fire or pulse rifle. I'm going to use a high rate of fire pulse rifle. But if I'm going to use a pulse rifle at a long range, that's when I want to use the low rate of fire one. Then it's the same thing like you have currently with auto rifles. The, I will say this: out of all the gun types, auto rifles seem to be in on paper the most balanced because the higher the impact, the better the range. The lower the impact, the lower the range. Right, which is how yeah. everything should be. And I which, think they need to stop locking guns by by type into a distance archetype. Why can the um, first curse not be a gun that can shoot across the map if that thing's gonna fire a bullet every three seconds why can i not shoot across the map with it because then you run into the situation where that hand cannon does things way out of its uh way out of its class no it does things out of the hand cannon's class right it's an exotic hand cannon that should do things out of its class and why should I have to use scout rifles if I want to play at long range? Why can I not have a scout rifle, a pulse rifle, an auto rifle, and a hand cannon choice for every single range? That's actually more of an answer for Jarrett. Yeah, what, well, then why can't you use shotguns to shoot across the map? I mean, I understand what you're saying, uh, theoretically, but from a balanced perspective, I mean, it is a game. So we have to have mechanics in place that well, not, I'm acting like I'm bungee. I'm not bungee, obviously, but you know, uh, there have to be mechanics in place that make you want to choose different guns and in, in different situations. And that's just, that's just one of them. I mean, in my opinion, hand cannon should have never been able to shoot at long range. Hand cannon should have always been a short range, uh, uh, weapon, uh, you know, in terms of balancing, I prefer the field of, um, thought that the more powerful a weapon with the exception of sniper rifles, the more powerful a weapon, the closer you have to be to actually use it. Uh, sniper rifles should be the difference, but in my opinion, sniper rifles should not have fast rates of fire. You know, you shoot one shot, you need to hit that shot, or else now you're kind of, your ass is out there because, you know, you have to wait to take another shot and somebody else can retaliate. It should be, it should be difficult to shoot a sniper rifle. But, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, you know, the whole, you know, fast rate of fire, slow rate of fire thing. I, I don't think just because of the slow rate of fire means it should be able to shoot across a map. I think if if the if it has a slow rate of fire, it should probably be more powerful, but not necessarily, you know, shoot a long distance. Right. That's Do you believe that with the Doctrine of Passive, they made a mistake doing the uh, the damage nerf? Do you think they should have done what they did with the hand cannons and then um, made their damage fall off worse? Yes, at a distance, yes. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Jorge. I was just going to say, the, the one thing that I've always noticed with my Doctrine of Passing, and and David, remember that one when we were at Exodus Blue with, um, oh, what is his name? We had another guy where we were doing trials runs. We were able to hit from a reliable, what I would call mid-range, mid-range. Uh, long range mid to long range with that doctor passing and, and melt people with headshots. There was, there was a day when me and Jorge did trials carries and we both just only used doctor. And I didn't touch my sniper rifle. If I don't touch my sniper rifle, something's going on. 
but we literally just rushed with that thing. And then we'd get to the point where we were medium range, start shooting and we'd melt people and we'd finish a ticket in like 35, 40 minutes. Right. We, we were hitting from ranges that you should really be using a Suros auto rifle. And, and I think that this, this whole thing with hand cannons is just the tip of the iceberg with regards to what they're going to be doing in terms of, of that. And I think that they're going to make it so that eventually they're going to do the same thing with certain auto rifles and, and possibly pulse rifles. Um, and yes, Jared, you, you, you're definitely not Bungie because you're speaking too much logic, so you need to calm down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a, in a perfect balanced world, there should be no game, there should be no uh, weapon in a game that's a must-have. You know? That's a very... Uh, well, I'm saying in a shooter, in a, in a shooter, there should be no weapon that's a must-have. That's and a very RPG-ish element. But you know, like, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go I've, I've never played a game that has that though. That's a must-have. I mean, I've played plenty of games that have that. I mean, no, no, no. I'm playing. I've never played a game that doesn't have a must-have gun. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess maybe because uh, I'm thinking of an older school of thought. Like you know, if you play Quake Three Arena, Unreal Tournament. Counter Strike, uh, even so, well, I haven't played the recent Call of Duty multiplayer's, but let's say uh, you know Modern Warfare Four and even Modern Warfare Two, I believe I played the multiplayer for that. Uh, but Battlefield, there is, I mean, there's there there are guns that are definitely very nice to have, but they're not must-have weapons. Like you don't see everybody using these weapons. Yes, you do. And when you go to competitive Call of Duty, there is two guns. There's the submachine gun and there's the assault rifle that rule in every single game. And that's it. But those are weapon classes. No, no, not weapon classes. There is one gun from each weapon class that people use. And that's it. Right. Well, okay. Like I said, I don't play the, uh, I don't play Call of Duty multiplayer anymore. So that's why I said, you know, that's why I mentioned Modern Warfare 1 and Modern Warfare 2. And I said, even with those, there was. And those, those games, I think, like, were the worst examples of it because in um uh like modern warfare 2 it was the famas and uh cod 4 i think that you were talking about cod 4 right yeah <laughs> yeah that one it was the m16 and the mp5 like they're just the guns that are so broken that people only use them uh, especially in modern warfare 4 you can use the p90 in modern warfare 4 and snipe a sniper that's actually why i quit the game because I did that too many times, and I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. Uh, so in those games, people may have people may have heard that you want to use these guns and use them, but if you actually explored other weapons, that wasn't the case. Because Call of Duty is it's funny because people could play Call of Duty for quote unquote realism, or that's why it got so popular. And I know people who will not play other shooters if it has if it, it is if it's not a military shooter because they feel that Call of Duty is more realistic. Um, but for as supposedly realistic as it is, it's it's not. It's and like I said, I used a P ninety to outshoot a sniper. Somebody using a fifty cal, like that's that's bullshit. So like you, you, people get on forums. They I mean they do. I mean it's it's something that hasn't changed for a long time. Like, I mean people do the same thing. They now they do it in shooters, but they've been doing it in mobas and they do it in uh, 
you know, uh, RPGs and RTSs. They get onto the web internet, they look at the forums, they see what everybody else is doing, and then they do it. It's actually a problem that we're having in Overwatch because people keep going and looking up these fucking tier lists in Overwatch and seeing that, oh, you need to play these players these way, and that's just not the way it's the, the game is meant to be played. Nobody is actually going out on their own and trying to figure things out. Now, in Destiny, it's different because of the way the guns are balanced like if you are not using these weapons you are at a disadvantage if you know when the thorn was huge if you weren't using if you had a thorn and you weren't using it you were handicapping yourself you know because the way that bungie has balanced the game but it's not always like that in, in most shooters where if you actually take the time to look at some of these other weapons and then learn how to play them and then maybe your playstyle fits another weapon better you can actually wreck people with it I think that's what we love about Destiny, though, is the fact that there is so much balance between playing different roles, and obviously you've got the different classes. Obviously, the thing of realism about you know Call of Duty is when you look at the advanced warfare uh, warfare games, you're looking at they're not really realistic. No, for reason. I know a lot of people are getting excited by Battlefield One coming out because you actually get that sense of realism back, and I think that's kind of what those games have lost. Destiny is obviously a completely different kind of storyline and game with all the different roles that you can play with the classes. Obviously, the thing you're talking about with Overwatch with people just searching what to do, you can do that in Destiny and throughout the nine classes, you can basically spend hours going through and not find one that fits your playstyle best. The only real way that people do that is in the raid where you could have never done the raid before. You search one video, you know exactly what to do with it. And I know a lot of people um, around are really excited for the new raid coming out when the Rise of Iron comes out because they can do it blind. Yeah, I, mean, I guess so. Like, I that that's never been my thing. I to be honest with you, I don't even like looking up raids before I go into them. Like, I know a lot of people who, when the raid comes out, they can't wait for I guess whatever you know whoever the best raid team is to go through it and beat it first, so they can watch the video and know what to do. I like the you know I like going in and figuring things things out on my own. It's not the most uh, effective way to do it. In the least, you know, but it's that that's fun to me. And I guess for a lot of people, like you're right, it is fun that they can actually just go look up what they need to do and then be successful at it. But for me, I'm not necessarily a big fan of that. I like uh, exploring and figuring things out. Um, I think uh, it gives me a bigger, a, a, a more, more, a much more uh, of a larger sentiment uh, accomplishment doing that on my own than having somebody else show me and then going in the game and doing it but oh yeah look i did it not shitting on it or anything like that i mean it's your game you play it how you want to but that, that's just how i feel yeah so going back to the obviously patch notes and obviously things that were too powerful what do we think about the um minus five stability on the hawkmoon did it need another nerf yes um I don't think we'll ever know because we didn't experience Hawkmoon with the hand cannon buff and it not having a nerf. So I feel like I feel like they wouldn't just be like, oh, we're buffing hand cannon, so let's nerf Hawkmoon. <laughs> I'm sure they played with it internally and that thing was a monster. So they're like, okay, with this new hand cannon buff, it needs to be nerfed a little. Oh, man. The, the many stories of Hawkmoon. The two-tap killed. Ugh. Anyway, let, let's just go go ahead and talk about the other uh, sub, uh, the actual subclasses, since I think we spent a good amount of time on the guns. David, take it away. All right, so I'll just run through all of them for us to start off. Um, Sunbreakers, they buffed the Hammer of Soul travel speed and redetonation radius and damage to AI combatants. For Striker Titan, Fist of Havoc got a damage and slight 
range increase. Um, Defender Titan, the Spike Grenade for Night Stalker, Hunter, and uh, as well, it was buffed. Um, Gunslinger Hunter got Swarm Grenade buffed, Trip Mine nerfed, Golden Gun damage increased, Deadeye Perk increases Golden Gun damage by 30%, Throwing Knife damage nerfed by 10%, uh, Circle of Life was changed from extending Golden Gun duration during Golden Gun activation to Precision Kills with Throwing Knife reduced Super Cooldown, uh, no more plus one to armor from that, Scavenger Perk has 33% Increase amount of grenade and melee energy from ammo pickup. Chain of Woe gives plus one recovery. Over the Horizon no longer has plus one recovery. For Blade Dancer Hunter, skip grenades tracking time and damage were nerfed. Blink has minus one recovery, which is also on the Void Walker Warlock. Um, Arc Blade has increased super deduction on misses, but less super usage on impacts. Uh, basically, so you can't skate through the air with it. Extra damage for PvE and increased range for the Showstopper perk. Vanish automatically activates when it's cast. Um, Blink Strike Distance was nerfed slightly. Night Stalker Hunter had that Spike Grenade buff. Um, Shadow Shot Suppression on Impact, finally. Smoke Jump Suppression removed, Impact increased by 34% damage, Overtime reduced by 1 second. Lockdown Perk increased Smoke Duration by 2 seconds. Shade Step moved to a single dodge on a 3 second cooldown so it can't be spammed. Predator now reduces the Shadow Shot cooldown as opposed to um, Speciality Perk of waiting for someone to trigger the tether. Uh, Warlocks, the Sunsinger Warlock had Firebolt nerfed in range and arming time. Scorch Melee Flame Shield takes longer to activate after a hit, so you basically have a split second to hit before it's activated. Viking Funeral changed to a stackable function, similar to tethering for Night Stalker Hunters and Meltdown for Sunbreaker Titans. Voidwalker Warlock had Nova Bomb damage increased by 50%. And Alliance increases Nova Bomb damage by 25%. For Do you want me to cover the exotic armors now, or do we, are we good with yeah, that? You can, yeah, you can talk about the exotic armor since it's it's like the, the yeah. role. They uh, changed Twilight Garrison, similar to how they changed Night Stalker Hunter, so uh, now you're down to a single dodge every three seconds. So I'm, I'm looking at a lot of these nerfs and buffs. Uh, with regards to Sunbreak, they needed to do something to Sunbreaker Titan because it went from super OP to like <sniffs> overnight. Yeah, I still loved it. It was still I mean, too much fun. It, they're, they're definitely fun, but they needed something uh, additional. And, and, and now they're, they're, they're on par with Strikers because Strikers, when they got buff, they got buff <laughs> bad. <laughs> it's basically no longer a handicap to use a Sunbreaker. Right. Um, I still think... They need to do something with defenders. It's, it's just, it's such a weird class because I get that it's a support class. I get that its whole thing is to be support. But at the same time, you have to be able to do something with regards to either grenades or abilities because a lot of them, they're not that relevant in PvP. And the fact that you, you remove a class from pvp activity when you were looking on that graph that the one that proved that hunters were uh the master master race race. 
<laughs> you saw defenders all the way at the bottom. They were like, we're here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they were all like a whole point five below they, every other class. They had a spike where they went over Night Stalkers. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is, there's a period of time um, right oh, at the beginning of June. Of May. Yeah, it was right at the beginning of June, end of May, where they topped Night Stalkers. Is that due to the fact that they uh, had that brief period of coming at the forefront with the no backup plans? That was literally like a day, so probably. Yeah, I, I, I still think that they need to do something with regards to that. Um, what I would personally do, give the Defender Titan a perk where you can give an area of effect to increase recovery. Now, you know what they could do? They could make it so the bubble travels with you instead of staying in one place. Good God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I don't, it's hard enough to kill a Titan in one bubble, never mind a bubble that moves. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, that would change it. <laughs> if it doesn't have to be the same size bubble, could it? It could I just be a community. But then if it travels with him, he can't shoot out of it at all. Oh, no, he can. He can. Oh, we can get it. Oh, is that another change? <laughs> oh my we're, God. Just, we're just going to make it the most OP thing ever. <laughs> so you're turning a, a Defender Titan into Torbjorn? Sure. <laughs> like a moving Death Star. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I actually would would be okay with that. It, it would be kind of cool to be able to move around and, and provide support to a your, your teammates outside of just making a bubble that might be useless in one spot. I mean, if you're... Yeah. You if you're able to that bubble be popped by one golden gun bullet, yeah, then I'll be kind of happy. Right, but but I mean, you're still providing support to your team, even if they do pop it. That's fine. But if you could take it around, if you can move it around with you and and actually do something with it and make it an active bubble, you're not going to be able to shoot out of it. But you you could put on that shotgun. And it's like okay, do your worst. Pow! You you decided to jump in here. You're an idiot. Pow, you decided to jump in here. You're an idiot. Blade Dancer, sit down. You ain't got nothing. They could even balance it and make it so it's a perk. And then the bubble becomes really small. It travels with you. You can shoot out of it, but nobody else can be affected by it or something like that. And it lasts for a short time. Stuff nah, like that. No, 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 basically. no. Oh, yeah, bro. Oh, yeah. It, it, it does need to be... It does need to be a support thing, so it needs to be able to give buffs and, and to your teammates. But make it... Make it so that it, it, it if okay if you don't want to do weapons of light or, or or blessing of light, make it so that it gives you additional recovery. I mean, you you have to it has to be a support class. If you change what it does and you make it so it's strictly for you, then you change the entire class and the point it of the, the bubble. Right, but a, a little, <laughs> you're rolling around yeah. in that like a little hamster, just M- moving around like super monkey ball, yeah. mowing people down. Oh Could you make it like Song of Flame? Like it becomes portable, smaller, but then they—if you're in the range of it—then you obviously get that buff from it. I mean, I, I, I just, think this just is all something. pointless speculation. No, no, I mean, no. This, this isn't really speculation. This is just more our opinions. I just think that the defender, as it is, it's it's obvious that it's not the the dominant class, or it has never been a dominant class in PvP. And I think that the, the stats show that because it's so rarely used that it needs some sort of offensive buff or change to the class to make it more viable. 
And I think one of the things that you can do just using Overwatch as an example, Torbjorn, you know, putting up that shield in front of him, he's still, you know, able to do things and, and actually do some stuff for the, for the team. As opposed to, oh, I got a Defender Titan, I'm going to put a bubble here, that's it. Like, okay. Yeah. Where, where's that useful other than control? But at the same time, they could not really care because they could feel it's not supposed to be a PvP class. Full on, who knows? That, that, that's stupid. That, then, then, then what you've just done right there is that you've, you, if, if you say that it's not meant to be a PvP class, then you've made it so that your argument saying that PvE and PvP shouldn't be separate go right out that window. The entire argument just goes out the window because you just made that excuse. Yeah, but I want them to be separate. Why why buff the PvP classes in PvE damage? You know, Stormcallers, Sunbreakers, etc. If you're not going to make the PvP, uh, PvE Titan more prominent in PvP. Like, if anything, another cool thing would would be every time when you have, let's say you have that bubble, you know, you're going around, running around with the bubble, Every time you kill somebody, you generate an orb, up to six orbs. Because right now, that's a big thing, too, with that, with that super. Like, you, you, you do the, the Titan Smash, all of a sudden, you're generating four or five orbs. Over here, with the, with the bubble, you're generating two orbs, and they're tiny orbs. It's not... Yeah, so maybe just making the orbs bigger would even be a good change. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> uh, that was terrible. No... <laughs> Yo, so um, slightly changing topic here, but I, I need to I need to say this. For the first time ever, instead of destroying an exotic gun, because they've done that, they've broken our exotic guns, they broke an exotic piece of armor. Rip Twilight <laughs> Garrison. Uh, is it really destroyed? I mean Yes, it's... have you tried using it? It's destroyed. It's awful. It's really bad. It's so slow. They broke it. <laughs> was it ever meant to be that powerful, though? Yes. That thing was freaking was awesome. The point of it. Yeah, it was the go-to for everything. What Bungie don't seem to like is people run in one piece of armor, one weapon, one... Th- it's the whole thing with the uh, auto-rifle nerf. But they don't like it when one person obviously does it. I, I yeah, do agree they've gone too far with nerfed. it, but... Yeah, but now they've nerfed the Twilight Garrison, all the Titans have gone back to Armamentarium. That has been the go-to, you know, before Twilight was there. And and it was a good evasion thing for Titans. I mean, I quite liked it. Um, You know, dodging back out and then coming straight back into play, or even just getting a quicker movement off of the back of it. It was was quite useful, but now it's really poor. You're so slow, you can snipe um, quite, quite comfortably. It finally had given um, Titans some form of dodging movement, which they didn't have. And now it's gone. It seems to me that it's just slowed PvP down, isn't it? I think what the the Twilight Garrison perk needs is to make it so that you get a plus one agility or plus two agility. Because I get why they removed that extra dodge. Um, it just made it way too, the, the whole dot, you, you got to do one of two things. You, you can't, the two dodge thing was, was, was broken as it was. And I, and I get why people liked it. It's like, oh, look, oh, there we go. I'm going to shoot you coming to bow and then I'm going to go backwards. Like, 
I, I get I get why people enjoyed it a lot, but there was way too much ability that if you didn't have the armor or if you had somebody lined up perfectly, like all of a sudden like it just it, it, it complete it, it caused a rift in, in, in skill. Right. Um, but here's my thing. They got rid of that and they got rid of the shade step being as effective as it was. And those were two things that made one-on-one combat encounters interesting because the person you were up against had a serious chance if they'd been shot at first to make it so they weren't being shot at anymore and they could just counteract you with great movement. And I thought that was awesome because things that, that take skill to be good with those two things enough so that you could win every one-on-one encounter. And that's awesome to me. I think they need more things in the game like that rather than taking things away that give you that. Because they also nerf blink. Right. The recovery change. So you can run a blade dancer and not have any recovery. Right. I just think that the biggest thing with regards to the game that that the game really needs that I don't think we're going to see anytime soon is more movement abilities. Rather because if you had other movement abilities besides this, I mean, I, I I saw a lot of Titans. They were they were chaining Twilight Garrison with shoulder charge, so they could move forward quickly, do a charge backwards, charge backwards again, and avoid a, a hole that they stupidly you know put themselves over. And so, I, I mean, I I could see I, I see the, the the pros and cons on both sides. I just think it was a little too strong the way it was. The only thing I would change personally right now would be to add a plus one or plus two agility to that perk and make it so that the, the dash moves you further back than what it is right now because or further forward or wherever to the location that you, you need to get to because I, I think that the, the, sh- the sh- it's too short of a burst. And I think with that, with those changes to the perk, you you give movement while at the same time not making it so broken and you make it more of a a skill-based thing. Because right right now it was just people like spamming it in the air and I was just like, oh God. So you can still only do it twice beforehand. I don't know. I, I didn't think there was any reason to touch Twilight Garrison. We move so on to something that. that's like really good at the moment and talk about the gun, the uh, the gunslinger. Because like that's one thing that's made me really happy. Here's the thing: like with gunslingers, they they boosted the heck out of it because it was it's so good. <laughs> oh man! Like anytime, remember back in the days of Atheon, where like you would see somebody activate a golden gun, and you're like, you're wasting your time. You need to stop right now. You activate that golden gun on Atheon with the um oh what's that helmet the, the, Celestial Nighthawk yeah that thing every time you shoot Atheon right in the chest with it you just see his life go like uh, 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 like a big giant chunk comes out I'm like oh my god it's so satisfying like even when I know it's like modifiers and stuff but hitting Omnigal with Celestial Nighthawk and Dead Eye and just watching that health drop. It's like it's what it should have been from the beginning. It's actually viable in PVE. Well, there was a period of time um, around House of Wolves when Celestial Nighthawk first came out that it, a golden gun was viable in PVE just because everybody loves Celestial Nighthawk and you go into strikes and everyone would be using it. You could burn down bosses pretty fast. 
Plus to run through the the vault of glass and kill all the gorgons with just celestial night yeah, workshop. Yeah. Just walk straight through. <laughs> that was some good times. Screw that, man. <laughs> I'm still I'm still having I'm still having nightmares of damn gorgons. <laughs> Stop moving forward. Stop. You <laughs> ran right by him. What did you think was gonna happen? You suck. Look at that man, it wasn't me. Oh my god, I used to kick so many people out of my fire team. That was back when I when I had very little mercy. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I think a lot of the changes that they did to the gunslinger were warranted. Everything was was done right, and I think that they it made it so that other perks are very very viable and very very worth it. Um, the only concern I have is that they didn't modify. The it's still the same gunslinger without any real changes, and 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 as you're like, what the hell? Like with the Sunsinger, you you changed with the Viking funeral. You you made it a completely different thing, and, and you made it so that it's very powerful in PVE. But I I, I don't see a similar change. Outside of damage, and yes, you could argue that that damage change made a gigantic change in PVE. I was kind of hoping for a little bit more. I don't it, think they needed to do more though. Like Viking Funeral is broken. Nothing on the Gunslinger is really broken. Well, this is the issue. Is I'm a bit confused about the throw and knife damage. Oh, that yeah. one bugs me too. I I I don't understand why they did it. Because at what point in any PvP, even in trials? Have you been so annoyed by a throwing knife kill with the burn on that's killed you with a headshot in one? If they've done it from some distance, you're almost happy. You're, well, you give them some congratulations. You know, good game because it's not easy to do that. Well, there, it could only one shot you if you chose to have the lowest possible armor. Yeah, there is one one change I, w- I was hoping that they would do with throwing knives, and they didn't. And I was hoping that they would make throwing knives a solar attack. And yes, you can make it a, a a solar attack with the perk, but think about it: all the other uh, subclasses with the Titan true. Titan melee, it's a void attack. Warlock me- uh, or if if you're defender, all the others like all the punches have some sort of element. Warlock it has some sort of element. Smoke is a void attack. The blink strike is an arc attack. But the throwing knife, unless you actually activate the perk for the for the burn over time, and I'm not saying that it has to have burn over time automatic, but if you throw it, make it so it's a solar attack, so you're doing solar damage, so it has more utility against enemies in in PVE. As of right now, I mean, I, I, it's really cool to throw a throwing knife and watch some poor vandal's head fly off because you. <laughs> But I, I kind of was hoping that it would have a solar utility on it, not to, not that so it does damage over time, but just so that it fits with the subclasses, because it's the only melee in the game that needs the perk on in order to be the same element as your subclass. Right. Yeah. Um, does anybody else feel like with this patch, though, they made it so Gunslinger Hunter is the only one you really want to use in PvP? Yeah, I kind of feel that way. I mean, I I main a blade most of the time, and shotgun, fist of havoc's rife whenever you pop a blade. Anyway, but it just you can maximum. I think I can try and push two or three, 
but no more than three kills with a blade anymore, and it's it's a bit uh, lackluster. It's a bit of a nothing super now. It, it, no um, armor on when you pop your super is really bad as well. I mean, I don't know if it had that before, but I feel weaker. Well, it was basically like the Blade Dancer Hunter was the like one where you'd like get in people's faces, be super agile and fast, and they took away stuff from Blink. They made it so you can't. Part of the best part of the Arc Blade Super was that you could jump up in the air, swing a couple times to get places you needed to go. Now you can't do that because you take away all your super. I mean, Blade Dancer is now underwhelming. They got rid of its best nade. Its best nade is Skip Grenade because its other ones have already gotten nerfed. The Night Stalker Hunter, they got rid of Shade Step, which was the reason people used it in PvP. Like, it's just, they're basically making it so, in PvP, if you want to do something good, use a Gunslinger, because it's the only one that Super is going to be able to affect the play that much, and it's... Well, I like the Night Stalker for its suppression, though. But it doesn't, doesn't mean that it, it did need. Shadow Shot suppresses on impact. Oh, the Shadow Shot does, delay. but, so like, You still get hit by the hammer, and you still die. But... This one is instant. Here's just focusing on Blade Dancer Hunters for a second. Um, I think the the biggest problem that the that the subclass has right now is that it feels too clunky and slow, which it shouldn't. Considering it's about lightning and electricity, when you think lightning and electricity, you think of bam over here, bam over here. Um, I think it needs a movement perk, um, kind of a, a a a role, if you will like the Night Soccer. Um, and I think the one thing that the Super needs to help it, to help with regards to Super, is that it needs to, when you activate your Super, you max out your agility and you uh, give it the perk so that you can do a blink. Ionic blink, that'd be baller. Not not so much ionic blink. No, but let, it needs ionic blink. You need to calm down. Anyway. <laughs> Like you, like I've you, never actually thought about that, but Ionic Blink on a Blade Dance would be pretty cool. Right, like like yeah. the way you would activate it would be the R3, just like like on, on the Warlock, and and make it so that that Blink does not take your super, but that way you don't you're not constantly seeing people swing, 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 while at the same time respecting that it is supposed to be about electricity. It's about supposed to be about quick movements and and movement speed. Um, I do think it needs some sort of movement perk and movement buff, and and that's something that the Blade Dancer Hunter has been really. It, it, it I use Gunslinger, I feel pretty good because of the triple jump. I use Night Stalker, I feel pretty good because the triple jump and the movement perks and and all these different things I can do to get out of situations. And it has the Night Stalker Hunter has perks on it that if you have let's uh, I forget what it's called, but if you have this equipped. You have additional movement speed as well as uh, the the radar. Can't Blade Dancer Blade Dancer literally has one perk on it um, with regards to movement speed, and it's not really movement; and it, it's, it's more a about slide. It's a slide, and it has invisibility. Well, like I, I mean, Blade Dancer. The thing was that what made the super good was the fact that you could swing over and over because that's how you got to people it's like you saw someone okay i'm gonna swing four times so that i actually cover ground if you just try and run at someone with a blade dancer in your super they just kill you because you are still at your normal health so they're just like oh let me just shoot you once with a sniper or a shotgun and you're dead you don't have the ability to swing and lunge at people anymore because you take away all your super if you do that 
Right, and, and and the way you balance that is by lowering by lowering the the super meter. Right, and giving you ionic blink. Thanks. I, 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 I actually would be okay if it gave it, it gave you ionic blink, max agility, but a slow, but 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 a smaller super meter. I think it would do what the what the super class needs, and that's gives it a, a movement because right now it has no movement. It's very very slow, and, and I'm all I'm okay with methodical kills and and being you know crafty and stealthy. Which by the way, that that perk where the second you activate your super, you automatically have vanish if you have the vanish perk activated. That's that's fantastic, and and I really like that. I just think that it has no movement, and it's very slow and very clunky. Uh, so, David, you were saying about it makes it more interesting on a one-on-one PvP area to have these movement buffs. Yes. Do you think in Destiny Two it's something that they're going to put in? Because obviously you have a circle button that you want to use. I don't and, uh, think so. Because do you think it's something they could put on every class. No, I don't think they're going to put it in because they're getting rid of it. And it's it seems to be that for some reason they don't like that. Like they got rid of Shade Step. They got rid of, not got rid of it, but nerfed down Shade Step hard, nerfed down Twilight Garrison hard. So it seems like they're like, oh, that's making one-on-one encounters unfair. But to me, it made one-on-one encounters more interesting. And they need more of it. Do I think they're going to do it? No, I don't think they're going to, but they should. So with regards to, I think we talked a good amount about the subclasses. Uh, let's talk about the activities for the for the game. All right. So um, the alternate endings to Paradox and Lost to Light, the ones that can get you no time to explain and Black Spindle, respectively. Um, they've been made so that you can do them on the heroic difficulty. They no longer have to be the daily, which basically means uh, Bungie is realizing that this part of the game cycles coming to an end so they're like here go get your exotics uh, firewall mission same thing it's active at all times to unlock sleeper simulant um, then the with um, the prison of elders they made it so varix grows impatient has a increased penalty with minus 50 points times the number of times he's impatient and around heroic strikes now have modifiers um the removal of House of Wolves era Trials of Osiris boons notifications was Thank brought in. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> I the, was my the OCD on me was going crazy. I was like, <laughs> I want that. Oh. Um, uh, three new chroma colors were brought in. Orange, magenta, and green. They actually look really nice, and I'm happy they did that. Um, House of Wolves daily heroic stories now give legendary marks, which is just a little glitch. Um, friends icon shows up in director next to activity they're in it's now up to 10 after the 2.3.1 update because it was super annoying if you had a ton of friends before that and you can view who's in the activity by putting the icon over the friends icon by the activity and 2.3.1 fixed issue caused by friends icon that prevented matchmaking from happening correctly so, I mean, a lot of this stuff is pretty self-explanatory. I don't think we need to go into too much. I, I, I'm glad that they made it so that the firewall mission, you didn't have to wait for the first week or the, a certain day in the first week. Was it like the, the seventh day or something like that? It, 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 was, it was so stupid. It was like, why? Why are you do Like, why are all these time locks here? These, these time locks are so artificial and so terrible, and it, it cuts a large segment of your community from playing 
or, or getting a specific item because they have to work that day. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy they added modifiers to heroic strikes. Adds a little bit of uh, diversity in there. That's good. I, I am and I'm not at the same time. And the reason I say that is at a certain... Sometimes I want to be able to do a strike without a modifier, but I want to make it so that's the hardest. But I can't do a heroic strike. I can't go into a the regular strike screen and select, hey, uh, level 40. The only option I had was to go into the heroic strike okay. playlist. I feel you there. So basically you want like heroic, heroic of modifiers as options. I, I didn't mean, I, I didn't mind that the, the, the there was heroic with modifiers on the, not the director, but the, the main screen, you know, where on the bottom left-hand corner, yeah. you could select nightfall, daily, whatever. I didn't mind that if that was there, but like I still want the option to do the strike without because there's there's days where I, I don't feel like dealing with a specific modifier. Last week was arc burn, which means that if you weren't using um the the, the supercell. Yeah, the Zalo Supercell, you you're just doing yourself a disservice. So. True. Yeah, I mean I feel you there. But at the same time I also feel like they need to change um nightfall now because now it's almost like her- heroic strikes are nightfall. Yeah, there really is no difference. So basically, what I think they should do, going off what you said, Jorge, and off that, I think they should make heroic normals, heroic modifiers, and then bring back your one nightfall, please. It was so much fun. The challenge was fun. Just to bring it back. It was quite fun looking at all the forums when they introduced the uh, the modifiers to the, uh, the, uh, the heroic strikes and stuff, and people were complaining about how difficult and how hard they were. And I, it just makes me think back to the old year one Nightfalls, thinking that's what they used to be like. Um, the Nightfalls now don't really offer that much of a challenge, even when they have got burns and, and modifiers on. I'd like to see those guys as well. You don't even need to team up with people. You can solo Nightfalls now. You never used to be able to do that. True. Yeah, th- this week's Nightfall was especially, wasn't that, that tough um, You could, it, it, with primary burn. And what's well, not primary burn, but small arms and airborne, you could just easily dispatch a whole bunch of things real quick. Oh my god, I don't know how we didn't say this back when we were talking about weapons. The last word is back, guys. Okay, now we can move on. Anyway, uh, <laughs> let's talk about. I kind of want to talk about the big glitches that started happening ever since the patch, and actually for a while now. Um, as we mentioned, there have been big glitches. That came a result out of the this original patch causing honeydew issues and tons of disappearing guardians. And when you shoot somebody, it was be a damage hit of two. And I'm really concerned that that this game. I, I, I've already known that this game has been on autopilot for a while, and it just it's 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 disheartening to see that these small issues are cropping up every time there's some sort of patch. It almost makes me feel like there's there's no real patch. Uh, I mean, this past week when we got what when we got the two point three point one, they're like, oh well, we can't really do Trials of Osiris and we can't really do Iron Banner because we goofed up. Sorry, next time. It, it feels like they're um, just rushing to put out a patch and not really worrying about the consequences. It's not being tested before it goes out. It's just. Yeah, that, that works in the coding system, so let's just throw it out there. So, uh, I mean, 
in addition to the honeydew issues, I've seen all sorts, as I mentioned for weeks now, I've been seeing all different kinds of animals and, and the entire Philadelphia Zoo show up in the error screen. I've seen the honeydew. I've seen badger, Mon- Marion, mongoose, Marion Barry, uh, cond. I think there was a condor. I can't remember. There, there, just like turn a page of, of any zoo book and you, you would see the error code. And, I, and I'm just really, it's really upsetting to me that any activity now will have matchmaking issues. I was doing heroic strikes. All of a sudden, everybody kept dropping out. And I know that they're not quitting because I saw that same teammate shooting at an opponent. All of a sudden, they're gone. Like, they, they just got booted out. Well, there was a night, I think it was, was it last week or two weeks ago, there was a night where you literally couldn't do anything. Every single thing in the game is broken. Before It was last Tuesday when the patch went live. Yeah. Be- before the this reset, this past reset, at around, I want to say, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. If you were to complete the uh, the nightfall, if you were to complete the, the, the raid, you would not get a reward of any kind, even if you, if you hadn't done it. So you just did an activity, got absolutely nothing, and that might be the only time that you had all week to do it. So all of a sudden, yeah, it's, it, there's just... It's becoming way more frequent, and it's it's really turning me off from playing the game at times. I'm not saying I'm completely turned off from playing the game because, hey, we're talking about the show right here. But at the same time, if I'm constantly doing something and I'm constantly getting booted out and not being able to enjoy the activity, it it, it, it it's at some time at some point you're just going to be like, you know what, I'm going to play something else. And for a lot of people who don't take this game as you know as passionately as we do. Uh, that might be the last moment Bungie had with that customer, with that consumer. Well, literally, there is um, this past week when they canceled, like they canceled Iron Banner, they canceled Trials. I didn't play Destiny all week. I was playing other games because I was like, well, um, I'm a PvP player and they just took away every single thing I do. So I'll come back when Iron Banner comes back. Speaking of, our, speaking of Trials of Osiris, can we be all in agreement that Black Shield is the ass uh, of Trials of Osiris maps? Guess who's not playing because it's Black Shield? Me. Those doors, dude. Those goddamn doors. It depends where you are, really, I suppose. I mean, Black Shield was my first flawless map. Sit down. You're done. Anyway. (laughs) Black Shield? Um, Wait, wait. Did you sit inside the whole time? No, I was outside with a shotgun. Each to the Yeah, I agree with Jorge. Sit down. Anyway, (laughs) let's go ahead and talk about Mash Those Buttons. David? All right, so Mash Those Buttons is the ultimate website for video game snark commentary by passionate gamers who love gaming of all kinds, from fighting games to shooters to MMOs. We cover the latest and greatest and always provide unfiltered commentary and fun. Check out all the killer podcasts available on Mash Those Button Network at www.mashthosebuttons.com. All right, so let's talk about Rise of Iron Impressions from E3 and the various interviews and information that we've gotten from um, the game. Um, so this past week, uh, a Playboy article, yes, Playboy, oh, ever, wow. since, ever since they've gotten rid of the nudity and, and stuff, they've kind of been going the, the not Esquire, what's the other Forbes. one? Forbes. Forbes path and, and started putting game stuff. It's kind of weird. 
But anyway, uh, Scott Taylor, for, uh, the executive producer of House of Wolves and now Rise of Iron, was talking with Playboy. And he basically said the following. The Plaguelands Patrol will include the current Cosmodrome areas, the Divide, which is where the, the, the Fallen Walker public event happens, the Rocket Yard, um, the Gateway, which is the beginning area where you spawn in at the beginning of the game, and the Breach, which is the area inside the wall that you walk through to get to the Divide, um, will be in there. Now, the Breach might not be there because of the giant hole in the wall, so it might be a modified version of the Breach. Um, Fell Winter Peak will begin with a mission dedicated to clearing it out, and this will allow other NPCs to populate it with... Um, and they'll be able to do rituals that involve end-game content. The current Cosmodrome Patrol area will remain unchanged. The Plaguelands version will only have Plaguelands content. So anything that's outside of the quote-unquote Plaguelands and the beginning area or that area that we were talking about with the Cosmodrome Patrol, uh, patrol um, you won't be able to go to, say, the Forgotten Shore or whatever. Um, in the Playboy interviews, uh, stated by Scott Taylor that the game has a decent amount of content, and I'm talking about Destiny, the, the game as a whole, and that they're still learning how to best support the game for the future. Uh, maybe, Scott, but I think you need to learn how to paste the, the content out. Um, anyway, the Taken Spring version of Leveling will remain as such, so there'll be multiple paths to Max Light. And all information indicates that the base level of 40 is remaining as it is. The max light level has not been revealed. Um, SRL is not confirmed yet. And per the interview, the Galahorn quest will be difficult, but he didn't compare it to any of the quests that we've done. So, given this information that we have, how do you guys feel that the... Of Rise of Iron so far, because when when, when the when it first came out, I, I was pretty excited. Or like the the first information came out, I was pretty excited. I was like, "Cool, we're gonna have a whole lot of stuff." Then the price of thirty dollars came by, and I'm like, Ugh. "Here's here's what I think is gonna happen." You ready? Their Rise of Iron is too small, and they're gonna use it until about Christmas, and then about Christmas, they're gonna hype up Destiny Two, which is gonna be coming out in spring. And they're going to ride on the hype of Destiny 2 to get them through till Destiny 2. I think they're going to bung in all the uh, the old raids around that Christmas time as well. If they end up putting all of those in and giving everybody the opportunities, like they do every every expansion with the exotics, like they've done with the uh, the missions, alternate endings. We also... They're going to bung in all raids at whatever light level we end up being. Um, and then that'll see us out to Destiny 2. We also will probably yeah. have return of those events. That were last year. Yeah, so I, I was thinking they were gonna um, do Rise of Iron and would ride um, SRL and uh, Festival of the Lost type events up until the, the spring, and then that's when they release Destiny Two as a, a whole um, a new product kind of way. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, given that there's no new light levels, it's making me think that we're not going to see the same thing like in in year two where there were a whole bunch of green engrams that were stronger than our purples. Well, has, has anybody else noticed that Bungie won't call it year three? 
Well, it's not. It's still 2.0. No, but technically, when this comes out, is the third year of Destiny. And they're not calling it year three. We can. We can, but when Taken King was coming out, they were like, yeah, year two, big changes in year two. And now they're just like, oh, so Rise, still of, an Rise of expansion off of, It's still an expansion off of the Taken King. It's, um, it's not a standalone. Right, but it's still they the know, third year. They know that they know it's, it's not, not going to last a whole year. That's why. Because Destiny yeah. 2 is going to cut right in the middle of that. And uh, from Destiny 2 on, I can guarantee you the, the quote-unquote years will go from, like, let's say March or April to the next March-April. Whenever Destiny 2 comes out, then they'll have another thing a year after that. So Nice to hear your voice again, Jared. Hey, I'm here for you. Just to, you know, set this <laughs> ship straight, you know? <laughs> My God. <laughs> yeah, I... I, I... <laughs> Before before all this information started coming out, I easily would have said Destiny 2 or whatever it's being called would have come out in the fall of of 2017. But I'm not so sure now. And who knows? I mean, it, it very well may be that this is year three where Rise of Iron comes out. And then in April, as in next April or March, another expansion comes out. And they may just make this a year of expansions. And that'll tide you over until uh, Destiny 2. It would make the most sense. They would lose half their community. Would they? I mean, let's let's say that you were given Rise of Iron and another expansion the same size in in, in, in that year. You're getting technically more content that you did in year two. It's just expansions, and then in year th- year four, you have Destiny 2. Right, but if I didn't play PvP, I would have been done with Taken King in November, December, maybe. And they've already said this is smaller than Taken King. Right. Because I was in the same situation. I turned to PvP. I didn't play too much of it. Uh, trials, obviously, year one. But year two, I've been getting a lot more into it, and that's literally due to the fact that all my characters are three, three, five. I can chase tier twelve gear if I want to, but you know, you're doing the weekly raids just to, you know, hang out with the guys that you're playing with, rather than even getting anything for it. So PvP is the only thing. And as soon as, as I agree with David, as soon as Trials and Iron Banner came out, I went and played The Last of Us. And I think if that happens yeah. with the other expansions that may come out, if this is a year of expansions, then you're going to see a lot of people leave. I, I, I have to agree. I think you're more that. The unfortunate thing for for all of us is that this is going to be a year of expansions. And the reason I say that is everything just seems to be pointing to that direction. Ever since they announced that they started this game in earnest in January. Means that they've at least somewhat streamlined the process to be able to put out more content quicker. With that also being said, another thing that's kind of been swept under the rug is the live team that consisted of about 20 people has merged with the DLC team. Right. So but I, I did not know that. So, so now, can I so ask now, you a question real quick? Because yeah. I, I need clarification. Are you saying Destiny 2 isn't coming out until September then? And do you think it's just the entire year is just going to be DLCs? If I'm Bungie. What makes most sense is to tide people over with current content or to update certain content 
or use current assets and create new areas. For using the, the current engine, while you have the team of four to 500 people work on Destiny 2 to get it right for year four. And if they can put out an expansion the size of Rise of Iron, which is a, not as big as, as Taken King, but way more content than um, House of Wolves, it makes sense from both the financial and the long-term health of the, of the, of the series perspective to do that rather than put out a flawed Destiny 2 in March of next year. Right, but I feel like to Activision that doesn't make sense. And uh, they already have, there's that uh, earnings call that said Destiny 2 will come out spring 2017. They never, and, no, 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 no. They never stated that that there's something that, that Destiny 2 is coming out in spring of 2017. I'm pretty sure they did because they had said there will be an expansion in fall 2017 and destiny 2 has been pushed back to spring 2017 no was what the call had said only thing the call no what you're, you're you're talking about is the content from kotaku kotaku's article and kotaku's article actually never said anything about it being pushed to spring what they did say in the earnings call was there will be an expansion later this year and this was back in january or whatever and there will also be a uh a full-size sequel in 2017 that's the only thing that's been said with regard yeah. with regards to the actual game i mean it it, it just it, it wouldn't make sense if they did a full on um if luke smith came on per all the reports luke smith came on to destiny 2 and they had a reboot or or redo of everything or some sort of flip it wouldn't make sense to put a game out with a new engine, new everything and all that, do a flip, which is basically what they did with Destiny 1, and then put it out in the spring and run into the same situations that you had in year one. I feel like they've been working on Destiny 2 for a long time now. Even if it got rebooted, it got rebooted in January. Well, I, I guarantee you that, that Destiny 2, the actual engine and stuff, has been in work since Destiny 1 came out. I just think that the direction that they were going and that like they were still trying to figure it out and with the new CEO of Bungie basically demanding like we need to put out quality product because we're starting to lose fans and Activision is kind of like pointing their finger at us. They need to get this right. And the only way to get this right is to give them as much time to perfect and optimize the engine as best they can. If they put out a half-ass engine or at least put out a system, uh, uh, an engine that just does not meet the needs of the team, then you're you're back at square one where you were with Destiny One. Uh, I just uh, go ahead. You go first. You go first. It's fine. I'll I'll go after you. No, I was just gonna say I just, I just feel like it's coming in spring because they are not dumb enough to think that they could keep people around with limited content for another oh, year. Please, if, if there was if there was an expansion the size of Rise of Iron, you would. Have a risen iron, and you'd be all happy, like, "Oh my god!" I would be. No, that's fine. Oh I would oh be god. because I, I love I this game. I, but I am not part of the normal community. The I normal lie. community hounds Bungie for content, I and the normal it. community won't sit here and play Taking King for a year and be perfectly happy. I like it a lot. That's you. Anyway, no. go ahead, Jerry. Jared, Jared, say, like ahead. Dave, I was gonna kind of say what David was saying. Only the hardest of the core right now are playing Destiny. Mm -hmm. And even with the coming expansion, 
I, there's going to be less people who get this expansion than got the Taken King, and that's oh, I, bad. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I've already talked to a bunch of people who I played with before, and they're like, uh, no, I'll pass. I got Overwatch now. Then there's other people like, well, Battlefield's coming out. Some people are like, hey, a new Call of Duty's coming out. I'm like, okay, dude, you do your thing. But, um, yeah, it's there's it, just not going to be as many people, and I think that's going to... Uh, if if Activision is not already putting the pressure on Bungie to deliver a new product, uh, then that is what is going to cause Activision to kind of put their foot down on Bungie's neck a little bit more. In terms of the engine, I mean, they've probably been reworking that engine. You know, their internal tools team, they've probably been reworking that engine since before Destiny even came out because mm-hmm. the team knew it was an issue. When it takes you eight hours to render a change on um on moving a rock two inches that's an issue so i'm pretty sure their internal team if if they're decent at all their internal team has been working on fixing making a much better engine uh in general so i don't think that's really the problem i don't think the engine is going to be the issue they've probably been working on the engine for a long time so that it removes these roadblocks they said that they have i think the biggest thing is content because uh you know destiny was a huge huge experiment for them and to the large degree, it worked. Even people who hated the game and said bad things about the game play it. I mean, it wasn't... I think it was like Kotaku or Polygon gave it like a 70 or a lower rating, but yet they had a podcast and a weekly update and all this stuff uh, supporting the IGN. game. Well, yeah, IGN too. So I mean, Polygon definitely had a, a weekly podcast for Destiny too, like a small one. Like it was like five, ten minutes, whatever. But I mean, people who didn't like the game continued to play the game, which was amazing to me. I mean, even, when you think about how long I played the game before I took a long break, you know, and it was because of the people uh, that I was playing with. But that's you know all starting to wear off. But like I said, Destiny was a huge uh, experiment for Bungie. And now I think they know what they need to do. They need to, you know, fill those gaps. They need to make sure that they have content that keeps people playing. Because, um, I mean, and even that's tricky to a degree because you'll never have enough content. You know, a, a World of Warcraft expansion has, you know, God knows how much more content than a Bungie, uh, no, than a Destiny expansion, right? But you will have people who still go through that entire expansion in a week. You know, they'll hit max level in a day. So it's like, where do you, where, how do you, like, what, what, what can you do about that? When you know that it's not going to keep everybody happy, just the content, it's, it's got to be the quality of content and the, the, the quantity of content. You got to have a balance between that. And if they can, uh, I guess, find that balance, then I think they'll have something special, but I don't think they'll have all the time in the world to find that balance. They they need to put something out, uh, and I think springtime is when they're going to do it because just just not that many people are going to be coming back to this game for Rise of Iron. There's two things that that are going on right now, in my opinion, with the, with regards to the game, and they're two really big factors. Um, the first one is. Bungie doesn't know how to properly space out content. What I mean by that is there's no reason for the... uh, Back in year one, there was no reason to rush out uh, Dark Below when when it was. The game came out in September. You had Dark Below early 
December or, or, or November? I can't remember. It was December. I thought that one made sense, though, because that's Christmas time release. Right, but 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 here's the thing: you, you already know that you you have the, the the next game would have been or the whatever would have been coming out in September of the following year. So you have to space out content properly, and the way you do that is the one thing that the big thing that was missing with regards to year one was proper spacing. If they had taken the Dark Below and made the expansion come out in January, so you have all this you have content from vanilla. From September on to January, you add a new strike or something new in the middle, like a like a, a like an April update, so to say, in November, where you release a strike and some and a mission that clues you into what's happening in the expansion. You would have had people that people would have been okay, and you would have given them the romance like this is when the game comes out. All of a sudden, bam, an update comes out. You have a new strike and a mission. People would have been like, cool. I'm excited. People start putting money down for, for the expansion. Expansion comes out two months later in um, in March. Another like strike and, and and mission clues you into what's happening in or like leads you into the story of the House of Wolves and like everything right there involves the betrayal of the House of Wolves. You're like, oh my god, I'm excited. Money down, bam! All of a sudden, House of Wolves comes out in uh, May. Like you wouldn't have had, you wouldn't have experienced these long content droughts and you could have easily made these strikes and just held them off to the side and these quick little missions held them off to the side. And all of a sudden, like people have content, people have things that they're looking for and and you don't, you're you're not struggling or or like, like trying to find a reason why to play. The game came out in May, all of a sudden, June, July, August, September, that's four months. Put out something that leads into the house, uh, the 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 Taken King. Everybody gets to play it. You, you're 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 promoting the Taken King from within the game that people already have, and all of a sudden, like people get excited. Boom! I'm putting down money. Like you, you right there, you've easily spaced out content, given your own internal team time to put out the content properly because Dark Below was rushed. The Dark Below had been in development from before when the game came out. That's it why was, I had a rating. It was still rushed. It, I don't think it was, though. I think Dark Below wasn't rushed, but Bungie didn't realize how much content they had to put out with each expansion. Bungie did not realize how big this game was going to get so fast. The The problem, you know, the problem with the, the Dark Below and even House of Wolves to a degree was it actually goes back to the original game and how little content the original game had. So, you know, you get Destiny, especially after playing the beta, because in the beta, you technically speaking play one-fourth of the game. You know, one-fourth of the single-player um, campaign. Then, you know, you wait three months, which is pretty normal, because what Call of Duty releases, uh, they, they release their DLC quarterly, so like every three months. That's probably why they released it in December as opposed to January, because that's just, you know what Activision does. They they try if they have, if you have a yearly franchise, they try to release um your DLC quarterly. So they did that, but you know, I think the Dark Below would have been okay with with its three missions and its raid and its strike if the main game would have actually had more content because I mean you could go through all of Destiny's content in a day. Two days. You know? Then you're left with doing the same thing over and over and over again. And then, you know, you got PvP and that's it. And I think 
if they would have had more content in the main in the main game when it first came out, I don't think people would have really complained about the dark below. And House of Wolves, don't get me wrong, was was much better. It definitely felt more more of a full expansion, but there was still some salt about the original game and the dark below not having that much content. You know, the game really didn't feel like it came together until you had all three, until you had Destiny and then the two expansions, um, House of Wolves and Dark Below. Then it finally felt like a $60 game. Before that, kind of felt like you weren't getting everything you paid for. But I think that's what the actual issue is. Not necessarily just the spacing, but the fact that it felt like there was a void that was supposed to be getting filled, you know? And then they just wanted you to get more money for the game. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's one of those things that you think if Destiny 2 is going to be pushed back, obviously as it has been a couple of times already, then they might actually be getting that right for this time. There's another thing that we've just got to throw up is um, next-gen consoles. Is it going to be in 60 uh, FPS, etc.? If it's not, it's fine. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think... um... I don't think 60 FPS is a huge thing. I mean, it'll be nice. I mean, I love 60 FPS games, uh, but maybe with the PS Neo and uh, the Scorpio, that that'll be possible. Uh, with what they're trying to do and the size of the areas they're trying to render at one time, I'm not sure if they'll be able to achieve 60 frames a second on the current you know console hardware. Mm. And because the current console hardware would have a tough time you know playing at 60 frames per second. Uh, more than likely, developers will, on the consoles that have the more advanced hardware, they'll probably not make that play at 60 frames either. They'll probably keep it at 30 frames just to keep their development costs down. Unless they find a way to separate 30 and 60 and make it so you could play in both, kind of like you can with computers where you can choose your resolution. No, oh, but, yeah, but, but that's the oh, Go ahead, Ori. Uh, I was just going to say that there's, and I, I, this argument for, for 30 versus 60 has been going on for a while, but I think it's important to note that. Sometimes just making a game 60 frames per second because you can doesn't mean that you should. Um, take a look at Halo. Halo 5, you have, what is it, 60 frames per second for PvP? Mm-hmm. A lot of people are complaining that it does not feel like Halo. It feels like a weird... It, it just it, do, it doesn't feel right for them. And to compound it even more, the main story is 30. So that you, you have a, an entire game split right down the middle where it feels completely disjointed, where one part is 30, the other part is 60, and then you have a PvP that doesn't feel right for Halo fans, and, and that's in addition to all the changes that they made with the aiming down sights or whatever, like the iron sights, whatever you want to call it. Right. So like you have a lot of changes happening that kind of detract from what the game was, and it loses its identity and becomes something to please people when it probably was better off sticking to its bread and butter and just enhancing those features. See, I think that has a lot to do with perception because I can understand why people don't like 60 frames per second when they don't understand why you need to have a first-person shooter at 60 frames per second, especially in multiplayer. It's kind of like, um, do, you, do any of you guys have a, a 240 hertz television? Uh, I've, uh, I, my dad has one. Okay, I so know you, nothing about televisions. Okay, no, so no, most TVs do um, are like well, the average TV is probably around sixty hertz, or or now, actually now, sorry, probably around one hundred and twenty hertz. Right. So you you've watched TV or like movies on your dad's two forty, right, Jorge? Oh yeah, those things are disorienting. Yes. So basically, 
um, when you shoot a film at 30 frames per second, or sorry, they shoot films at 24 frames per second, and that's how you get that cinematic look. Um, you know, when you have a, a film or a TV show that's at 60 frames per second, it doesn't have a cinematic look. It kind of looks too realistic. Yeah, it and looks it can, like, it, and it pulls you out of the fantasy. So that's why they that's why they shoot it at such a low frame rate. Um, so the, like if if you have, a, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. You want to say something? I was just going to say it's it's the soap opera look. Yes, exactly. It is the soap opera look. So on a 240 hertz television, it kind of fills the gaps with the frames, and almost anything you watch looks like a 60. Looks like it's playing at 60 frames per second, and it kind of like you know imagine watching Lord, Lord of the Rings at 60 frames per second. You know, it takes you out of the fantasy a little bit, and it's the same thing with games. The Halo uh, single player could have played at 60 frames per second, but they didn't want to. They wanted to play it at 30 frames per second because it gives it a more cinematic feel. Uh, the 60 frames per second, though, you need that in a multiplayer because you can you see more, you react faster, it's smoother, it's better for competition. But if you don't understand that, you're just like, oh, it doesn't look that great, you know? So that I understand why people wouldn't like it, but it's a matter of perception because if you understand why it should be like that, then it's actually better this way. You probably appreciate it more. Do you think the game would be better or worse if it was sixty frames? And knowing how Bungie operates, they would make it for both PVE and PvP. Yeah. See, I I think uh, from a campaign perspective, I do enjoy a. Uh, a 30 frame per second game uh now don't get me wrong because I'm, I'm a pc player so i try to play everything at 60 frames because when i'm playing on pc i guess i'm playing less for story and more for uh game mechanic if that makes sense for you yeah you know the target acquisition kill target stuff like that so i enjoy 60 frames in that aspect but if it's more if it's more story based uh i'll i'll, I'll want to play it at 30 frames per second because it does have a more cinematic feel so if, if if Destiny 2 is at 30 frames a second, it's still going to be perfectly fine, even though I would enjoy me some, some Crucible at 60 frames, to be honest. Yeah. Just, just given Bungie's track record and how they operate, they wouldn't make one or the other. They would make it both, because that's what they've been saying all along. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. And I, I, I think they're going to stick with 30 frames per second, uh, because they're going to... Because, you, you, uh, you know, David is right... They can't. You they they can totally actually uh, going forward. Uh, uh, software developers are going to have to treat consoles like PCs. There'll probably be a framework or an API that they use per uh, ecosystem. Let's say the PlayStation ecosystem or the or the Xbox ecosystem that will link them into the drivers for any of the consoles that come out for those systems, and they can use it accordingly. I guess the difference is that on a PC, you can manually choose your settings. Uh, you know, you can manually set it to high or manually set it to low, whereas with the consoles, they're just going to have to detect which one it is and determine how they want to, you know, run the graphics that way. Oh so it God. is possible to do, but I don't think they're going to do it that way because that just requires more testing. Uh, I, just, I just, I'm afraid that we're going to run into the situation, and, and this might be for Destiny 2 or, or it might be for other games. Uh, where we're going to run into a situation, what I call the Hyrule Warrior, uh, Warriors effect. And if anybody doesn't know, the Hyrule, Hyrule's Warrior, the, it's on 3DS and it's on Wii U. I'm talking about the 3DS version. It runs perfectly fine, and in fact, very, very well on the new 3DS. But you you try putting that game in the old 3DS, 
you're barely hitting 10 frames per second. It, it is really, really bad. It, it, it's unplayable, even though it's said that you can run on both the new 3DS and the old 3DS. I think that's because with the 3DSs, the old 3DS... Okay, so the new 3DS was built with the new console... Um, I guess mentality in mind that we're going to have these games that we want them to play the same across multiple platforms, even if they're our own platform. You know, everybody is talking, they talk about Microsoft saying, we want games that play on the Xbox to play on Windows and to play on the Scorpio. We want all the games to play on all the platforms. Microsoft isn't the only, is not the only one thinking like that. Nintendo's thinking like that. Sony's thinking like that. And that's why they're putting out multiple versions of multiple or multiple versions of consoles that can play uh, the same games. Uh, the new 3DS uses the same framework, or uses the framework that can link into the 3DS and into the Wii U. Whereas the old 3DS was a standalone platform, so that version of the game probably had to be ported. They probably had to have an entirely different team take care of that game. And that's why, uh, you know, it probably sucks. Just like uh, Arkham Knight on PC is terrible. Because it got ported by a not so great studio and not Rocksteady, versus all the other versions of the game that came out on console. Right. So going forward, it's actually a good thing because if the if if the developers can treat them like PCs, right, that means that they don't have to go to other studios and say, "Hey, we want this game to play on X as well. Can you port it for us?" And these problems that we're having with ports will start to go away. Because now you just have to use the framework, and you can either allow people to manually make the changes they need for graphic graphical fidelity and performance, or you just have it detected automatically, and that's that that's a good thing. All right. Um, so the the last thing that we're going to talk about is just people's opinions that that we've been getting with regards to the the rise of iron. And I think a lot of the, the same thing that people have been saying has been the same thing that we just mentioned, where they're happy with the price of the game, but they're really concerned with the content that's going to be there. And given what we've talked about, um, it just seems like people are optimistic, but they're really concerned that there's just not going to be enough because they're, they're going to run into the same situation that we have currently with uh, with. Uh, Taken King, where we're, we're, just, we're just scrapping the bottom of the barrel for for content. Um, any any last thoughts you guys want to throw in with regards to Rise of Iron or the or the, the future of the game? Um, it looks. I mean, Rise of Iron as as much as I'm worried about the content, it does look cool, and it's awesome that they're starting to use things they already have in the game to drive the story like they are with the iron lords and let's okay let's be honest here the fact that you're going to be able to become an iron lord is pretty baller i just hope that they don't end up doing the same thing as they did with previous expansions obviously having i don't know how you guys feel about the uh, obviously having blues and purples that are obviously better than your armor and you're picking them up obviously they've talked about the infusion rate staying as it is um, obviously heard talk both ways um, it feels to me that if they do go back to that sense of obviously picking up greens and blues um, and then improving your armor that way that that's the way that they would end up stretching it through and trying to get it to Christmas 
Yeah, I think um, I'm curious. I'm curious what they're going to do, you know, because they obviously did not plan to do this expansion at first. You know, I think this expansion sometime toward the beginning of the year, that's when they were like, um, we're not going to have Destiny 2 out by September like we planned. So we need to make another expansion. And uh, that, that's what has me curious about it, see exactly what they were able to do in such a short amount of time to develop a full expansion. I do know there are some you know new areas. I'm just hoping it's not like it was in the uh, House of Wolves, where basically they just take you through places you've already been backwards. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. I'm hoping we don't see a lot of that because that's mostly everything in the House of Wolves. And, you know, then we got uh, the uh, the Taken King, which was a bunch of brand new stuff. And I know we're not going to get a bunch of brand new stuff here, so I'm like, what is it going to be more Taken King or more House of Wolves? Like, what, what's it? What is it? So I'm more curious than anything at this point, to be honest. Right. Uh, with regards to that, I, m- almost the entire the the entirety of the story takes place within the Plague Lands and what that encompasses, and the Wall and Felwinter's Peak. So you're looking. I, I mean, with regards to the the Plague Lands, that also is the Divide and rocket yard so that there's going to be a mission that involves that stuff and they already said that there was going to be remixed version of of strikes which that is a whole nother thing in in itself that kind of irked me but that's beside the point and the fact that you're only getting one new strike come on bungie really oh yeah i forgot about that Will it be one new strike, or will it be one new strike and a PlayStation exclusive strike? They haven't said anything about a PlayStation exclusive. All, the only thing they they said was that there will be exclusive PlayStation content. We can theorize that there will be a PlayStation exclusive strike because that's what they've done in uh, the Dark Below and the Taken King. But right now, that's just theorizing. Uh, the only thing I can say is that there will be remixed version of strikes. One of them almost guaranteed to be Sepkis Prime because that fat bastard needs to be shot down again. <laughs> um, and I could easily see them doing a remix, the, that remix version of the strike being Plaguelands version. But you're still doing the same strike and, and, and you're going to be going to the same areas. And if the, there's going to be an area behind Sepkis Prime going to the Devil's Tower, I, I, I mean, I don't. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm. I'm. I'm interested as well as as Jarrett, but there's a lot of it that concerns me because while you can have definitely have a lot of new missions and and a, supposedly the Plague Lands is as large as the Cosmodrome, like Year One Cosmodrome is. There, there's that still means that there's going to be what ten missions at most, a strike, a raid, end game content. Right. You're still going to go through those in a week, hallway, What do you think the uh, the maximum light level, if it moves at all, what will it go up to? I mean, I, I'm thinking kind of like 420, 450. I think a lot of people <laughs> have been thinking a lot. 350. Like, I'm I'm going 385. I'm going to yeah, hope for 400. I, I, I would be surprised if it was. I'd be happy it was 400. I, I'm being conservative, and I think it's 385. But here's the thing: if they announce that the, the level is 385, that indicates more of that there's going to be something else down the line sooner rather than later. Well, if uh, 
if their wording means anything. Significant light level was 15 last time, so it looks like we're going to 350. Yeah, I'll never forget that. Um, but then again, they, they might be making it so that light isn't as important in terms of... Because ever since the, the, the Taken Spring, light level really hasn't been all that important. It, it's been more what you can do with what you have. Then again, it, it's also the, stupidly easy to do anything because you're 335 and everything is 320 and you're just blasting the hell out of them. But I, I honestly don't think it's going to pass 400. Mm, right. So they're keeping with the one-to-one infusion? Yeah, they're keeping the one-to-one infusion yes. and, and anything from take... This is confirmed per the Playboy article. I still can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, per the Playboy article, anything from Taking King on up can be infused to year three levels. Which brings I think up, it's going to go for it quickly. Yeah. I think well, it's not going to last till Christmas if we've got the one-to-one. Yep. That also means there's not going to be the, the big injections of new weapons and new armor if they're expecting us to carry stuff forward. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just upset that you can't do anything with your one weapons. And, and, and it, like, just remove the elemental burn, give us those weapons. Just, it, it, anyway. What my fate bringer. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, with that, I think we're going to bring the show to a close. Uh, we thank you for listening to In Orbit. We're available on a ton of platforms, so make sure you guys are spreading the word. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, Overcast for iOS, Stitcher Smart Radio, Player.fm, Podcast, and we also have an RSF. Uh, we also have an RSS feed. David, go ahead and talk about the other podcasts on the Mashos Buttons Network. Yeah, our other podcasts, we have Double Tap, which is our fighting game podcast released bi-weekly on Wednesdays for fans of Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, and other fighting games. Wow Talk, our podcast dedicated to World of Warcraft, released bi-weeklies on Tuesdays. Watchpoint Radio is our podcast focusing on the sights, sounds, and groans of your constant failure to stop Bastion on Overwatch, available bi-weekly on Tuesday. Sit Rep Radio, our podcast dedicated to getting you up and around the streets of New York, released weekly on Mondays. And of course, we are In Orbit, your resource dedicated to the Stargazers and Darkness Destroyers in Bungie's Galaxy, available bi-weekly on Monday. For any questions regarding scheduling, check out mashthosebuttons.com slash schedule. For scheduling details, check us out on twitter.com slash site. Facebook.com slash mash those buttons, YouTube.com slash mash those buttons. And please contest with contact us with any questions at inorbitpodcast at gmail.com. Kana, where can pe- people find you at? Uh, people can find me on the PlayStation. Uh, I'm Ricey1995. So that's R I C E Y. 1995, uh, playing most days in the Crucible, but uh, can help a lot of people out in PvE too. I'm a part of the Technodrome Knights clan um, on Facebook. Find us up on there. And um, that, that's that's about it. I don't have a, a, a YouTube. What about James? Where can people find you at? Yeah, same for me. So uh, I'm part of the Technodrome Prime, obviously a different uh, era of the Technodrome. Um, I'll be on my PSN as JX Hale, H-A-L-E. Um, and much the same as Connor, I'll be on 
most times until this expansion comes out. And of course, Mr. Godfather himself, Jarrett, where can people find you at? Uh, if you just go to mattressbuttons.com, I'm everywhere. So <laughs> you can catch me there uh, on Twitter. I am uh, underscore jaw underscore. Really easy to find me. And make sure you guys are listening to him on Overcast. Um, Overcast. <laughs> on Overwatch Radio as Watch well. Watchpoint Radio. Watchpoint Radio. Whatever. The thing with the Overwatch. Listen to him on there. All right. <laughs> And you can find me on Twitter at DS underscore Bolt and on Twitch, twitch.tv slash DS Bolt. No spaces, no underscores. And of course, me, you can find me at GoToNRG on Twitter and I'm on Facebook. You can search for me if you so choose Jorge Vegija. It's spelled V as in Victor, E-G-U-I-L-L-A. On behalf of me, David, Jarrett, the rest of the InOrbit team, we thank you for listening to our show, and as always, we'll see you starside on the next mission. Later days.